Good morning. You know, Christmas time is coming up and we all get packages of cool things. Have you ever gotten a cool thing and you took it out of the package, whatever said cool thing was? I'm sure it was probably a tool, right? Because that's cool things are. Or toys or whatever or a, I don't know, whatever. And you uh, took it out and maybe there was something wrong with it or whatever and you needed to return it. And then this feeling of dread comes over you because now guess what needs to happen? It all has to go back in the box. (laughs) Has anyone ever tried to repack something? And I don't know who packs those things, but they have a supernatural ability to fit things. Yes, robots, it's, it's robots. But someone programmed the robots to do that because they just, the robot didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to do this. Someone is smart enough to figure out how all those pieces that could cover the square footage of this church can fit in a box this big. Because <laughs> I know when I put them in, it, when I put them in, it looks like the box is pregnant and taped up. <laughs> and it is just squished in there. So there's a reason for saying that. I feel like uh, the message today is the package. So we're going to unpack something here. Hopefully I don't have a mess that I can't clean up afterwards is what I'm trying to say. So uh, we're going to get into this and and hopefully I do more good than damage and we're going to try it out and see what we think. So we're in Philippians still, chapter 4. And uh, last week we talked about the verse right before this, the book of life. How many are glad that your name is written in the book of life? Come on. Your name is recorded in the book of life. And then we ended with the next verse, which is the first verse in our, in our section today. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I just pray today that there is uh, the Word of God plants in our hearts and does amazing things. We want to be transformed by re- the renewing of our minds. And we thank you, God, for what you're doing here today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Now, as you're reading the scriptures, we're talking about, like, like we talked about Revelation this morning, that you can read it with your mind, and we're, and we're holistic. We're body, soul, and spirit, right? Our soul is part of our mind. Our mind is part of our soul. And, and we use our mind, but our spirit also reads as well. So sometimes, like, there will be, like, God will get your attention with a scripture that isn't necessarily even in the right context. But God, God gets your attention, and the Lord speaks to you or whatever. As a pastor, you're always looking for context, right? I want to know who was this written to and how was it written so, so that we can pull out, like this is written 2,000 years ago. I want the Holy Spirit, obviously, to highlight and bring revelation. But at the same time, like there is context. It was written to someone for a specific reason or whatever. And so as I was going, of course, we're going verse by verse through Philippians. And I was, as I was going through these, the verses seemed kind of random. There would be a couple sentences that I'm like... I know, like, that's good, and it's good stuff, but I feel like I'm missing something, which is usually the case. (laughs) I feel like there's more to the story. Anyone ever had a conversation with someone, and you're like, okay, and you're you're connecting, but in the back of your mind, you're going, I bet there's more to this story than what they're, right? We, We human beings are master storytellers, especially when it's about 
something about ourselves. We like to we like to create a story that makes us look in the best light possible, right? And so, as a pastor, you learn after a while, or as a human being, <laughs> as a, someone who's married, you know, honey, did you even look for it? Yeah, I looked. I have a, I have a hunch there's more to the story. <laughs> it's not here, right? Technically, yes, you looked, but there's more to the story. I, I have a story. I found something for my wife the other day. Nobody cares. Jim cares. Yes. For the 999,000 times before that, it was she finds something for me because I looked, right? But this time, I found something for her. So it's, it's the only time it probably will ever happen in our marriage, so I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> yes, it has nothing to do with the message, really, but just excited about that. But there's more to the story. So I was looking at the scripture. I'm like, there's, I think there's more to the story here. And so sometimes you just need to back up. You need to, you need to get a, a broader view of things. And so I backed up to the very beginning of chapter 4. So we started at verse 4 today. So the very beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom we've already preached on this, but you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And as I started just scanning through chapter 4 and really just kind of taking a, a kind of a more bird's eye view, you know, the, the, the wider, higher view. Like, what is this about? Obviously, rejoice in the Lord. It means we need to rejoice, right? You could pick out each one of those sentences, and it means something that is truly godly. But as you step back, here's, here's, here's the box that I'm opening up today. Here's, I don't know if we can get this back in the box after, after I mess this up, but here's what I'm suggesting to you today. And I hope that you never look at Philippians chapter 4 in the same way again. Here's what I think. I think that Philippians 4 is a blueprint for mental health and spiritual stability. Nobody was awed by that. <laughs> it's always unique as you've spent just hours and hours with these scriptures. Sometimes you present things, and I've had time to process this, and you guys haven't. And so I'm expecting more. But... I've had hours to process this. And so sometimes I'm like, that's it. That's all I get. So I think that Philippians 4 gives us keys to walking in spiritual stability and walking in the Lord in spiritual health and mental health. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a case for that today. And I, and I hope that that you guys come along for the journey with me. So we're going we're gonna to back up for this scripture. These are going to be hard to read because it's, it's long, but I more want the visual. So I want you to see in the first verse here, we just read that one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I love and, and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm, how? In the Lord. That's the, the yellow box there. Stand firm in the Lord. And then this is all the way through verse 7. So at verse 7 which we haven't gotten to yet, we read it, but we haven't preached on it yet, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, in the Lord. So there's this standing firm in the Lord, and then seven verses later kind of bookends this with, with guarding our hearts and our minds in the Lord. So guard our hearts, guard our minds. Say, guard my mind. Guarding our minds. Anyone ever had trouble from bad thoughts? 
Yeah. Anyone ever uh, made bad decisions from bad thoughts, from bad understanding of things? We want to guard our minds. Anyone ever made an emotional decision that you regretted later? Yeah. I mean, come on, like most of them, <laughs> right? So we see this kind of this bookended chunk of scripture. So again, we're just, we're backing out so we can get the big view of things here. So we can get, this, this will make sense in just a little bit. And he's saying that we're going to, we're going to learn how to stand firm in the Lord. We're going to learn how to guard our hearts and our minds in the Lord. And if, how do I say this? In the, in, for Israel, for, for the Hebrews, they were a set-apart community, a set-apart nation from all the rest of the world. God gave them all kinds of laws and all kinds of understanding. And a lot of them was like, a lot of them was dealing with things that they didn't have scientific understanding of yet. Laws about, oh yeah, bury your dead outside the camp. Because we found out that, oh, it had to do with diseases. We learned about, go through Leviticus and learn about mold and bodily secretions and right learn about uh, just how how we keep pure and that's a reflection of God's holiness and purity but it's also it's also this God's like I want you guys to live well so that's what I'm trying to get at is God had this vision for the Hebrews to be unique in their in the group of nations that was around them by thriving he wanted them to do well he wanted them to prosper he wanted them to be set apart by how well they were living. And he just kept making all these declarations. When you follow my commands, you'll live well. You'll do well. I'll be with you. Do what you're supposed to do, right? You know, just like dig your latrines outside the camp. Like that wasn't a common practice. And so there would be all kinds of diseases that would come because of that because they didn't know any better. And so they were this unique group of people, and God was giving them wisdom at a time when, when the other nations didn't have that kind of wisdom, and God set them apart. And so there's a, let me throw up a verse in, uh, what did I do with my thing? Huh. Is it? Is it hiding? Wow. You can see how, yeah. We're talking about mental health today. I can't even find my clicker. Honey, you shouldn't open that box. Yeah, you can't, you can't. The pieces are everywhere now. I know. I know. So let me throw, show you some, a couple verses in Psalms. This is in Psalm 112. This is kind of what I'm talking about. This is just one little section. But praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Surely the righteous will, be never, will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. This is just kind of an Old Testament example of what I think God is, really Paul was kind of nudging at in Philippians 4, is that you can have great steadfastness of heart and faith and great soundness of mind if you walk in the commands of the Lord and you fear the Lord and you walk in his ways. God's going to give you stability. God's going to give you stability. Does that sound like a good thing? God's going to give you stability. You're not going to be wishy-washy. You're not going to be up one minute, down one minute. You're not going to be thrown around. You're not going to be unstable. God wants us to have a sure foundation, a firm footing. And he wants us to walk in with solid steps. Yeah. 
Well, he doesn't want us to walk like this because that would be awkward. But you know what I mean. He wants us to be sure-footed. And he doesn't want us to be plagued with, with uh, not to overdo it, but you know, mental illnesses and mental conditions that are a result from internal, not a result from chemical imbalances or anything like that, but as a result from internal dialogue. And so let's, uh, you guys are you're like, okay, you got it. you're going to have a long way to go, preacher. Let's go back to Philippians 1, or Philippians 4, verse 1. And I want you to see, we're going to, a couple sections of verses in Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, we read this already, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, right? So this chapter starting out with standing firm. This is how we're going to, my life is going to be planted. It's going to be firm. It's going to be solid. It's not going to be shaky. In this way, dear friends, I plead with these gals to be of the, now I find this very interesting, of the same mind in the Lord. We already preached on this. We already read it. We already talked about this kind of stuff. But in the context of mental health, in the context of steadfastness, all of a sudden Paul is saying, I don't want you to get distracted by your divisions because I want you to be healthy. Paul loves this Philippian church. We've talked about that over and over and over again. He knows them. He's been with them. He loves them. He wants them to do well. Like, you know, watch out for this. You're doing this good. Here's, here's how you're going to live well. And so in the middle of this, he's saying, I want you to be of the same mind. How do you be of the same mind with someone that you disagree with? The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. So what he's challenging them is lean into Jesus. Be of the same mind, where? In the Lord. Next section of this, Philippians 4. Rejoice, where? In the Lord. Right? We're talking about steadfastness of heart and mind. Rejoice. That's an emotional, intentional response and a choice. I'm going to rejoice in him. I'm going to have joy in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in God. Like, that's an emotional and volitional decision to point towards God and rejoice. He's telling us how to have a healthy emotional life and a healthy mental life here. I know you're not convinced yet, but I hope, I, I hope we get there. So he goes on, and he says some more things, and then he ends with, in verse 7, he actually goes on a little bit more, but the bookend of what we're talking about today, he says, it, it, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. So he talks about standing firm, then he talks about minds, being of, being of the same mind, then he talks about rejoice in the Lord, which is our hearts, and then he finishes that section with the peace of God is going to guard your hearts and your minds. Nope, don't put it there, because then you won't find it again. All right. Has anyone ever felt, how do I want to say this? Anyone ever felt like the pressures of life tend to want to overwhelm you emotionally and mentally? I mean, is it, you know, maybe, maybe you're still good, but it, there's that, there's that opportunity. There's an opportunity as we walk through the world for the daily pressures and concerns of life, for the daily chatter of those around us, for the, for the attacks of people, for the attacks of my own mind, for the attacks of the enemy to want to shake me emotionally and mentally. And I think Paul is just laying out a great blueprint here for, guys, I want you to be stable. I want you to be rock solid. Not that you don't have stumbles, right? But you're going to recover from that. Part of being strong and stable is that when you do trip, you can recover. 
right? You can stand back up and get your footing again. Like, we're all going to make mistakes, but Paul's saying, I want you to press into some of this stuff, and I want you to understand that, that you know, this is tricky business. So there's things that we can do. So, so back to this, the broad view again. I do this for the visual. I'm a visual person, obviously. I, like, I, I just, things make sense to me when I see them. I want you to see this. There is a line right in the middle here. So we're talking about standing firm. We're talking about good mental health, emotional health, standing firm in the Lord. Let's see if you can recognize this. You see it? Right there? Okay. You got it? Anyone, anyone get my subtle hint of where we're pointing at here? Okay. Just in case. All right. <laughs> we all know where we're going next? Yep. Right in the middle of this, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. It's the only negative command in the whole of chapter 4. It's the only, it's the only hey, don't, hey, watch out for this. Look out for that. Don't, don't do It's the only one in the entire section of chapter 4. And he's saying, we got to be careful not to let anxiety creep into our hearts and our lives. Well, yeah, that's easier said than done. I don't know. Or maybe sometimes we don't even know we're anxious. Anxiety. So we've got this, Paul is describing this pathway, this, this road to walking with Christ in being stable and thinking sound thoughts, not letting our thoughts sabotage our lives, right? Not, not having crumbling thoughts that tend to erode our emotional health and, and mental health and not letting our hearts, you know, be filled with all kinds of crazy emotions that, that we can't handle. And what he says, he just gives this command. Do not be anxious about anything. And I, I think about it like this. I, I feel like, like where, I don't even know where that's heading to, but whatever, the road to, to walking with Jesus. Anxiety pulls us on this off-ramp. And we have the best of intentions. We're driving in our car. We're singing Jesus songs on the radio. And, oh, look, oh, wait a minute. All of a sudden, we, we accident. Anyone ever been on an inter... Maybe, I don't know. Driving in big cities still freaks me out. We've been on a lot of big trips, but I tell you what, I'm a country boy at heart. Give me a gravel road, and I am really fine with that. Has anyone ever been terrified that you were going to miss your exit? <laughs> a few of you. You remember my New York story? So we're on our very, very, very first big family trip that we, you know, Rapid City or Duluth was as far as we'd ever went. That's my, that is that, like we can barely make it to there, right? And in like 2015 or four, somewhere in there, you know, the kids were younger and we're like, let's do something crazy. So Marnie and I are on a date and so we started, we're like, let's go to the Great Lakes. And so we called it the Great Lakes Tour. Well, then we're like, we kept, I, I'm kind of famous for this. Well, for this much more, right? So we're like, we're like, well, we'll always go to the Northeast and we'll go see the leaves there some, someday, someday. But I'm like, well, what if someday never comes? So we were ending this tour at Niagara Falls. Well, then we're like, how far is the ocean? I'm like, it was like 500 miles. I'm like, we could do that. So we just kept adding more. So we ended up, I think, getting 17 states or whatever it was in that one trip. And, you know, it was around 5,000 miles. And it was phenomenal. And we did a bunch more after that. But one of the, so we kept, finding routes that would go by big cities so we could see, oh, look, there's Philadelphia. Oh, look, there's, you know, right? 
because we don't want to be anywhere because like you know Minneapolis I'm terrified I'm like you know I can do it but I've got to have someone navigating and telling every single turn like if I'm there by myself man I'm freaking out right I'm a country boy okay so we've got a minivan we've got a Dodge minivan and we're driving, and we had, Kim had come with us. We dropped her off, and so we, we were also cheap. And so we've got cheap cell phones, and they're not really keeping up. <laughs> okay? So Marnie is now navigating. And we're driving by New York, you know, and, and someone's taking pictures. Of, like, you can see it off in the distance or whatever. And, and so I keep thinking, stay in the middle lane. Stay in the middle lane. Stay in the middle. Just stay. In, so I'm kind of I'm tensing up. Just stay in the middle lane. That's right, because we're on the interstate. Just stay in the middle lane. And... She had told me what exit we were looking for, and we drive by it, and I'm like, that was our exit. She's like, no, it wasn't. It's, oh, my phone's catching up. It's catching up. Finally, she's like, that was our exit. I'm like, oh, no. So I'm freaking out. So I'm like, stay in the middle lane. Just all I got to do is just stay, because we're on the interstate. We're on the interstate. We're like five lanes of traffic. So I'm in the middle lane. I'm like, we're just going to stay in the middle lane. Stay in the middle lane. And we'd come go through tunnels, and we'd come out, and you'd have to pay a toll or whatever. And you get back on the interstate, and we're on five lanes of interstate. Stay in the middle lane. You know? Not in the fast, crazy lane. Not, I'm not going to be in the right, because that's an exit. I'm just going to stay in the middle lane. Stay in the middle lane. Go through a few more tunnels. All of a sudden, middle lane disappears. I'm like, what happened? We just went through a tunnel. I was just five lanes. We go through a tunnel, and I'm on a street. <laughs> I didn't turn. I did not take an exit. I'm in the middle lane. Middle lane, because I'm terrified. I'm like, middle lane, middle lane, middle lane. So we're driving. like, there's buildings around us. I'm like, where are we? <laughs> so Marnie's trying to get her phone to catch up. I'm like, I was in the middle lane. Honey, I was in the middle lane. And so we look, and we're seeing street signs. And she's like, so we're on this one street. And she's like, OK, well, you need to take a left up here. I'm like, OK, I was in the middle lane. But I was in the middle lane. And so we turn. She's like, OK, you need to take a left on Broadway. So I'm going down. I'm like, so then it hit me. I'm like, Broadway? Like, we're in New York on Broad, we're in, like, uh, so we were, uh, the corner, we were at the corner of Park Street, Park Avenue and Broadway, and the Empire State Building was, like, like a half a block away from us. We drove in a South Dakota minivan, me screaming, thinking we're going to die. I kept saying that. I was, like, actually, like, loudly, we're going to die, we're going to die, and I'd stop at stoplights and take pictures, like, this is a cool story, though, but we're going to die. Like, because you can't just pull off in New York City. You know, we're driving through people, there's movie cameras out, and they're making pictures and films, whatever, and like freaking out. Finally end up getting into some tunnel and get, got into New Jersey. <laughs> we did not die. <laughs> in case you want me to get to the end of the story, we didn't die. We made it. We made it through. I don't know how we made it through, but it was terrifying. The point is, it was not my intention to get into chaos. It was not my, I was in the middle lane, man. But all of a sudden, I got rerouted because I missed what I was supposed to be doing. Paul was telling us Jesus has a plan for your life that is one of solid footing and sound mind. But anxiety wants to pull us off on the exit. And all of a sudden, we think we're just doing the, still doing the same thing. I'm in the middle lane. I'm in the middle, but you missed, you actually got on an exit you weren't supposed to be on. And now you're in the wrong direction. So now we're, now we're driving along the street of anxiety. Yeah, and it's taking us places we don't want to go. And it's a driving experience we didn't expect. And it's not what God has planned for us. 
Another way I like to think of it is like this. Anyone ever seen something like that on your computer? A virus. It, why is anxiety like a computer virus? Because it hijacks the hardware. Anxiety will come and hijack your thinking and your reasoning. It causes unwanted results. Like, if you guys are making decisions based out of anxiety, you're not going to get the decision that you would have made had you been calm and were able to stand back and look at it. It destroys and deletes things, things that you should be doing. It just, like, they fall out of your head. They just don't even exist anymore. It can crash the operating system, right? We can end up, you know, medically hospitalized can expose sensitive information. Like all these things, you know, if we had more time, we'd just kind of take that analogy a little bit more. But a guy by the name of Corey Brock says this, no one wants to be anxious. And that, and that most often it feels as if it's happening to us more than we're actively choosing to be anxious. And doesn't it feel like it? Anxiety kind of hijacks you, right? It hijacks your destination. It hijacks your reasoning, it hijacks what you should be doing and feeling and thinking, and it begins to impose its own will, like a computer virus would, is what anxiety does. So two different thoughts here. There is what I'm calling, this is not a clinical term, common anxiety, and then something I just found out about recently called chronic anxiety. And we're actually not talking about chronic anxiety, so we're talking about what you and I think of as anxiety. So just... I don't know what you'd call it, normal anxiety. I don't know if there is such a thing, but, but normative uh, anxiety. So hopefully the next time we're going to talk about chronic anxiety, and I think that is going to be eye-opening for you guys because it certainly was for me. But today we're talking about common anxiety. It is. We've all felt it. It's a feeling of worry or nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome right? Anxiety. It just, it makes your hands clammy and your heart beat faster and you get a knot in your stomach and we all process it a little bit differently, but uh, one of the medical definitions is it's an abnormal and overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear, often marked by physical signs such as tension, sweating, and increased pulse rate, by doubt concerning the reality and nature of the threat and by self-doubt about one's capacity to cope with it. We're uncertain about the future, about whatever it is, about whatever event or whatever thing is going to be going on, and then we are also uncertain about our ability to handle it. Enter anxiety. Enter freaking out. Enter worry. Enter concern. Enter nervousness. Enter this, this virus that now wants to hijack your heart and your mind and create scenarios that are not at all what God has intended for you. Corey Brock also says this. He says, here's what it's not. Anxiety is not mere concern. It's not the type of fear that helps us survive in a dangerous situation. That's healthy. It's not concern for that moment we put our 16-year-old behind the wheel for the first time, because that's not, well, that could turn into anxiety, yes, but, but it's, it's, it's concern for the situation, right? Or it's not concern for our, child, our sick child's health. That's, that's, that's not anxiety. Rather, it's an ongoing, I love this definition, ongoing fearful restlessness, wherein we imagine hypothetical circumstances of loss. 
Oh, great. Uplifting topic today. All right. Everyone feeling encouraged and uh, ready to go deal with life? Because I hope you're happy now because you're not going to be when we go through a few more slides. So, like, just take a snapshot because this is as best as it's going to get. No, I'm not, that's not true. That's not true. It's going to get better. So what's the source? I'm going to read some stuff that either is going to cause you anxiety or is going to cause you to get mad at me. So that, that's going to cause me anxiety. So maybe we should just skip this whole next part. <laughs> the source. I've got some great quotes here. Again, one more from Corey Brock. He says, Anxiety as a restless, body-numbing fear of hypothetical loss is, according to Jesus, an issue of desiring control over our circumstances, of loving the things of this world, including our self-image, more than we ought, and failing to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, who wants to leave right now? <laughs> He's saying that anxiety at its core, do, do you feel that that anxiety is from heaven? Right. It's not. Okay, so... Jesus has this God life for us, right? We just, we blinked at it in the Old Testament and then kind of blinked at it in Philippians that as we yield our hearts and souls to Jesus, he wants a thriving life for us. He's not waiting to just, all right, come on, mess up one more time. I dare you. I dare you. And a lot of us have that view of God. He's got commandments that we're to obey and follow. Why? Because they're life for us. Say life. They are life-giving, and he wants the thriving life for us, and we always think we know better than God. We're always like, okay, well, I know you say that, but, but that was an old book, and you're an old God, and I'm a new guy, and you know, it, like, we wouldn't say it out loud like that, but that's often the reasoning that we have. I, I feel like I can make this decision and do better than what God tells me to do. <laughs> and on the other side of that, we're always like, should have listened to God on that one. Yep, should have listened to the Word of God, because that was right, I was wrong. Uh, you guys ever heard of Oswald Chambers? Yeah, he died in the early 1900s. He said this, We imagine that a little anxiety and worry are an indication of how really wise we are. It's much more an indication of really how wicked we are. Wow. He just doesn't really sugarcoat things. Fretting or worry or anxiety springs from a determination to get our own way. Our Lord never worried and he was never anxious because he was not out to realize his own ideas. He was out to realize God's ideas. And I feel like, again, again this, is, this is more of me unpacking the box and taking things out. And I don't know if I can get this back to you, right? Like, I'm not a psychologist, right? I, I'm, what I'm sharing with you today is what I see in the Word of God, what I feel the Holy Spirit has illuminated in my heart, and what I've experienced in, in experience, you know, in my own life and with you guys, or... Not you guys, other people that are anxious. <laughs> okay? This is experiential. This is, this is not clinical. So I'm not giving you like, like a definitive. I'm, I'm giving you some thoughts on what I think God the Lord is saying and what I've experienced and, and seen what works and what doesn't work. And some people that are way smarter than me, like Oswald Chambers. And I feel like a lot of times when we want to deal with anxiety, I want to find a book or a pill or a show or something that is going to change how I feel on the inside so that I can still get my own way. I'm just going to stand in this awkward position for a while. <laughs> As I was ruminating on this, man, that just ripped my guts out. I'm like, I want to deal with anxiety 
in such a way that I can make it go down so that I can still follow on the path that's producing the anxiety in the first place. I don't want to release control of my life to Jesus because that's just too scary. And so I grip on to control of things, and I have this illusion that I can manage my life. I can't even manage my own life, but I try to manage your life and the government's life and right society's life, and I twist and I squeeze, and I, the end result is the harder I squeeze, the more anxiety juice comes out, right? Maybe not you, but certainly me. And that's what happens when we try to control everything. And we don't think of it like that, but that's really what we're trying to do. Our Lord never worried because he wasn't, he wasn't anxious because he didn't have his own agenda. David Paulison says, Worriers act as if they might be able to control the uncontrollable. Central to worry is the illusion that we can control things. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. When we can't control something, we worry about it. Hmm. Ugh. Are you with me? Are you, are you bleeding? And, right? are, are we still okay? Are we, you haven't left yet, so all right. What, is, what does Paul give us for keys to peace and a sound mind in the middle of this? He says this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Let's, talk, let's hit this one quick. Let your gen- this, this threw me. This, this is the verse that caused me to step back a little bit. I'm like, I'm missing something here. Like, yeah, we know the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like, what, what, does, what does one of the fruits... Of, what, I don't understand in the middle of this section, why is Paul just blurred out? Be gentle. That seemed odd to me. It seemed out of place. And when you find something that seems out of place, you should dig into that. And so I did. And I'm like, why, Paul, are you telling us to let our gentleness be evident? And and gentleness doesn't just mean what Libby's doing to Miss Grace over there, being gentle, you know, just carefully holding. Like, I'm not the most gentle person in the world, but I got to hold babies the other day. They survived. But that's not necessarily what the gentleness is talking about here. It's not talking about you play nice with kids and they don't get hurt. That's not really what it's saying. Uh, the definition, I was going to put the Greek word up there, but I didn't. Bruce Hurt says this, this gentleness, this word gentleness, it stands for the spirit or attitude that does not seek to retaliate. It denotes one's willingness to give and take instead of always standing rigidly on one's rights. This is the person, the gentle person, is the person who is yielding his rights and is therefore gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant, as one has described it, and exhibits a sweet reasonableness (laughs) or a sweet spirit or an ability to extend to others the kindly consideration one would wish to receive themselves. This forbearing person is not spineless, but selfless. All of the sudden, in the middle of this treatise on mental health, Paul said, you need to be gentle, which is the opposite of self-absorbed. And I'm just going to pause it to you. As a pastor for 28 or 29 years now, I'm just going to tell you, 
so much of what we see as as mental health kind of issues, just its root is in selfishness. And you can send me hate mail if you want. I'm just going to throw that out there. And that has helped me have a sound mind in so many ways. Whenever I would struggle, I've shared this before multiple times, but whenever I would struggle with quote-unquote depression, and kind of have off and on my entire life, whenever I would struggle with prolonged periods of the weight of this dark cloud on my life, when I would wake up and just I could be sad and miserable and whatever, and I couldn't put my finger on it, when I finally would get brave enough after days or weeks, I would say, all right, I know where this is going, God. I would ask myself this question. You've heard this before. You've heard me share this before. But I would ask myself. So I'm, I'm just I'm sharing you what I found in my life, in the books I've read, and in the people I've talked to. This has proven to be true over and over and over and over and over and over again. I asked myself this question. Where in my life did I not get my way? And I find 10 times out of 10, I can trace my source of depression back to that. But it's so hidden and so camouflaged, I don't notice it anymore. I don't have even oftentimes forgotten about it. But as I, and it takes some brave, braveness, braveness, bravery, brave, brave, I don't know, bravery, bravery, that's what it is, bravery. <laughs> to peel back some of those layers and go, hmm, I can't see, because initially, often you can't, you've been so wrapped up in the dark cloud, like we've forgotten what it is that initiated that. And often as you peel back one layer after another layer, and some of them are legitimate bad things, but, you know, I don't know. My hamster got run over by a car. Well, you know, in that scenario, I did not get my way. And I'm not talking about we shouldn't properly walk through grief. We shouldn't, like, but so often it comes from I didn't get my own way. I feel like, oh, like this whole thing, I, I can think of times in my life where extended, like, like days or even weeks of time where I've traced it back to one comment someone made to me. Really, Snaza? <laughs> Are you two? Like, but I didn't see it. I didn't notice it until I found out the key. Come on. Most of my mental illness, like unless it's chemical, you know, like I'm not talking about medically diagnosed chemical imbalance kind of stuff. I'm talking about average man's kind of struggles that we walk through, where if they go on long enough, it's going to probably get diagnosed. Talking about that, and I'm talking about as I peel things away, I start going, oh yeah, well, when did I start feeling? Okay, what, what situations make, you know, where do I recognize that I'm feeling most like this? Oh, okay. Oh, it's because they said I'm a turkey and I'll never be anything but that. All of a sudden, I adopted that, put that over my whole life, and I didn't even realize that I did that, and so I had to walk backwards. And once I get to that spot, I'm like, okay, enough of this. And it just lifts. Paul is saying if, if you want to be walking on the edge of mental illness, go ahead and be as selfish as you want to be. Just, just think about what you want. Think about how someone wronged you. Think about how you didn't get your way. Think about how you deserve better. And this is all in the context of knowing that God loves you, not that you're just worthless, not at all. But it's about being selfless. John Wooden says, it takes strength on the inside 
to be gentle on the outside. Rob Morgan, he's got a great quote here. He says, as we mature in Christ, we exchange our low image of ourselves with a high image of Christ. The Holy Spirit forms his personality within us and unleashes the incredible power of a gentle spirit. And that pleases the Lord. A gentle spirit, a gentle spirit reduces anxiety. It reflects Christ. It gets things done. And it pleases the Lord. I want to jump over really quick to James. And, and how many would agree that wisdom is on the opposite, like spiritual wisdom, like wisdom from heaven, would be on the opposite end of mental illness? Or, or, or a depraved mind, or like faulty thinking. So let's just say we got bad thinking over here, somewhere on this end of the spectrum, and wisdom from God on this end. Are we, are we okay? Okay, so if we're going to tra traject towards wisdom, let's find out what James says about wisdom. James 3, 16 through 18, he says, wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambit, wait a minute. So if you want to get towards the end of wisdom, you've got to run away from what? What is the first thing he says? Selfish ambition. There you'll find every disorder and every evil of every kind. But he's making this contrast. It's not selfish. It's not self-serving. It's not all about me. He says the wisdom from above is pure. It's peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So beautiful. So let me see if I can paraphrase this. So let your gentleness be evident to all. Here's my paraphrase. Let there be evidence in your lives of your willingness to abandon your need to be right, to get your own way, and to control the outcome of situations and relationships. And that, my friends, will diffuse anxiety in our life as we yield to Jesus. See, it's all, this, this whole Christian walk is this tug of war between my flesh and Jesus' control. And I'm like, come on, Jesus, I'm up for a good fight today. <laughs> right? Not you guys, just me, huh? Yeah, you guys are so holy and so surrendered, and you just love God with all your hearts. And, but a lot of days, that's me. I'm like, come on, I'm getting what I, oh, I love the Lord. Sing with me. How great is our God? Sing with me. How? <laughs> right? And I'm pulling and tugging at my own selfish desires all the time. God, I'm feeling anxious. Help me, Lord. You said, you said, if I just call on you, you'll be near, right? It, is, it seems silly when you do it that way, but you guys do the same thing. There's keys in Scripture that God just doesn't want to read and just want us to memorize. God wants us to live them out. And it's going to open the doorway for heaven to flow through your guys' lives. So one of the ways that we diffuse anxiety is this age-old struggle for Jesus to have control of my life. All right, God, take the reins. Less of me, more of you. And... The next point that we are done because we're out of time. But the next point is the next phrase, the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I get anxious when I try to control things, and I get anxious when I think I'm all alone. And I know that when I surrender to God, he's near. He's near. He's with me. Don't we get less anxious, less anxiety, less fear 
when someone big and strong comes and sits beside us, right, and that we know that cares about us. When we're in the storm, right, when we're going through a tornado, do we want to be left alone? <laughs> Come on, family, gather up. We, we want to know, like, if we're going to die, let's die together, right? Like, we want people around us because it eases our fears. And right in the middle of this kind of dissertation on how to be mentally healthy, right in the middle of it is watch out for anxiety, and surrounding that is give up your will and your way. Stop, give up control of your life and realize that God's close. Jesus is close. Yield to him and realize he's close. He's got this. Next time, I'm going to give you some, some more tools on recognizing, especially chronic anxiety. This blew my mind. This is really good stuff. I don't know if we'll get to that next week or not, but like, you should keep coming to church. Because <laughs> I've learned a lot in the last couple of weeks about myself and the levels of anxiety that I didn't realize that I had. And we classify those as chronic anxiety, and it looks a little different than what we think about normal anxiety. And there's some great tips on walking free and walking in Christ. So that's it for today. God, I just pray that you would bless this people. Lord, help us to realize the areas of our life that we're anxious in and the areas of our life that we're trying to hang on with clenched fists to our control of things. God, help us to have the grace to yield to you. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen.